from Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller plays. Welcome to All on the Podcast, a weekly rewatch podcast of the classic 1970s Norman Lear sitcom All in the Family. Woo, we're back. Episode 10. Hi guys, it's me again. It's Alex. I'm a regular now. Uh, Alex is our regular host now. Welcome to life. Um, this is episode 10. Archie worries about his job. So this is um, this is like the least political episode I find. It's implicitly political, but there, right. there's definitely a lot to unpack and that's what we're here for. Right, guys. that's what we're here for. No sweat, folks. That's uh, what we're no here sweat. for. No sweat. We're going to unpack it all. Today is, we're recording on the eve of the State of the Union, which is interesting. Yeah, it's it's an interesting backdrop. Where uh, where Trump just tweeted at Jay-Z and let him know that black unemployment is at an all-time low, apparently. Apparently. I don't know why, like, Trump is so concerned about what Jay-Z thinks of him. He cares so much so about deeply. the common man. <laughs> the common man, <laughs> Jay-Z. Yeah. The one who has a mansion in Malibu and lives with Blue Ivy. Yeah, exactly. And the twins. No, I, I can't. just can't. I just fucking can't. Okay, so this episode, what happens? Let's break it down. Archie is awake late at night, and he's trying to find some milk. He goes through three milk cartons, which is a really funny moment. I feel like I don't know. I don't. We don't have milk cartons like that anymore. We don't right. drink milk in America anymore. So like, what's the point? Like, right, we were just talking about this. Right, because it's not healthy anymore. No, milk is not healthy. What's like? Oh, I neither say, is soy milk. Neither is soy, soy milk. Soy milk is bad for you as well. So. And so is almond milk. So well, now no, I think, almond milk is good for you, except it destroys the environment. So we're not supposed to drink right, almond milk anymore. Right. I was I, saying like I think we're yeah. somewhere between cashew and coconut milk right now. I love coconut milk, but like. I could also just do some regular whole milk. Right. Like, I could do some red whole milk. That's the color for whole milk, right? Red. Absolutely. It's like the inter- the national color for whole milk. It is. Red. It and is, then, like, yeah. I what? think skim milk is blue, and then 2% one, or 1% milk. is like green. Yeah. Something along those lines. Oh, yeah. I know because my mom would yell at me if I didn't get the red. <laughs> Cause she was she can't speak English so she only knew it by the colors. She would, and call she would it literally cornflake. she would call yeah my mom used to call all cereal cornflake. What are you gonna eat cornflake? And I'm like yeah I'll have Lucky Charms mom sure. <laughs> Do you want cornflakes? Yeah I'll have the Honey Nut Cheerios thanks mom. <laughs> she also says the words bagel and 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 uh, and bacon the same. So like Sunday mornings we'd wake up and she'd be like filete bacon and I'm like did you say bacon or bagel? She's like bagel. And I'm like, bagel, no bacon, no bagel. And she she would give us bacon every time. It was always bacon, which is why I was so confused about why I asked about whether it was not bacon or bagel. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Archie's getting milk, and then uh, everyone wakes up around him. He worries that he's. Uh, it's revealed very soon that he's worried that his he might be laid off because twenty percent of people in his company are getting laid off. And then he kind of spends the whole episode freaking out about it. Right, waiting for that, a phone that call. is the conflict of the entire episode. Yes. It's kind of, it is very, you were saying it was very death of a salesman. Right, yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I, yeah, I probably should avoid getting into the habit of drawing parallels to every text. Well, I, I don't talk. think every episode is going to be a literary right. parallel, but I mean, these, these early ones are, and yeah. probably for a reason. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, part of what I wanted to talk about this time around is that I taught Death of a Salesman last year to my AP literature class. And I did a lesson on them, teaching them Judith Butler's theory of gender performativity, explaining to them that she argues that gender is performative, that it's culturally reproduced and socially influenced. And we, we spoke about this a few episodes earlier. But 
after presenting this, bear in mind, this was, I, I want to say a month after Trump won. And I had one student, I had a couple of students, but one student in particular who was a diehard Trump fan. Wow. Diehard Trump fan. Like wore his Make America Great Again hat when he came in. And bear in mind, all of my students are of color. All of my students That's are so of fascinating. Color. Yeah, fascinating is one word for it. Fascinating, but yeah. 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 Um, fascinating, is, <laughs> fascinating is quite the euphemism. So, so I, I gave them that lesson, and the whole point of that day's lesson was that we were going to examine key scenes in the play where we see that kind of gender anxiety bubbling to the surface, and we see that the entire conflict, his internal struggle for almost the entire play, one could argue is supported by his gender anxiety. Right. He sees himself as a failure because he is incapable of supporting his family. There was one scene during a flashback when he comes back from a business trip and he's bragging about how much he sold and how much money he made. And Linda, his wife, you know, the steadfast, supportive woman she is, she says, wow, that's great, dear. I'm so proud of you. You're wonderful. You're a great husband. Everything about you is wonderful. You're the greatest. And she goes, but we have some expenses to pay. And yeah. she starts to rattle off all the expenses, the broken icebox, the, the heater, like, you know, everything. And then it turns out that the amount of money that he earned on that trip, impressive as it was, is not enough to pay off all the expenses and all the debts that they owe. Yeah. I mean, Death of a Salesman is an indictment of capitalism, probably right. one of the earliest indictments of the evils of capitalism. But... So, you know, we, we were talking about how, again, Willie Loman feeling like he alone is tasked and burdened with supporting his family, you know, that, that stems from that gender anxiety. So I bring it up. I give the right. lesson. Right. And Archie even said that in the episode. He yeah. was like, well, a man isn't supposed to bring his problems into the house. Exactly. And he says that. And it is because he feels like he is the breadwinner of the family. And so... And you, I honestly kind of felt bad for Archie in this episode. Like, this was the most sympathetic that they have let us be with him. Because you kind of realize, like, Mike's not helping out. Mike's walking around shirtless at 4 a.m. Like, he looks disgusting, you know? Archie really is the only person that makes any money in this house. And so, like, if he does lose his job, it's like, what the fuck is going to happen to this family? So it is kind of like, I felt bad for him. Yeah, well, we see that vulnerability... Especially in his scene with with Edith, that right. I when I, I want to get to that later on. Right. Um, so so I finished the lesson on gender perform yes. performativity, and one of my students, the the Donald Trump supporter, goes, he goes, why does this matter? And I can we name him, names? Can we name his name? No, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. really kidding. Expose his name, <laughs> and he goes, why does this matter? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, this whole this whole gender theory, this whole. Um, you know, someone can have 99 genders. He's like, why does this matter? Like, why, like, why is this even a thing? And, uh, you know, as a teacher, I'm trained to direct the question to the class rather than to just give away the answer because, you know, we want to prompt critical thinking. So I'm, I asked the rest of the class, I'm like, so that's a good question. Why does it matter? And, you know, students, bear in mind, I was also teaching this class at 7 in the morning. It was, we, right. had, we taught zero period, which was um, a class that started 7.15 in the morning. So the kids were half asleep. Um, and, you know, the ones who were paying attention raised their hand. And I think they gave the answer they thought that I was looking for. They're like, well, Willie is under a lot of pressure. And he's under that pressure because he feels that he needs to perform his masculinity. Therefore, this matters. 
And the kid starts going on a rant. He's like, this is why Donald Trump won. All oh. these stupid theories. Here like, we go. All, all these, all these butthurt, these, these queer people and these LGBT people. Like, just going off. And I was so flustered and I was so taken aback because a year ago I had taught that same lesson in the school I student taught at, which was much more liberal. It was a performing arts high school. Mm-hmm. And that lesson went over so well with the kids. Right. Like they really, really liked it. I give this lesson. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to do this lesson with Death of the Salesman with these yeah. students. And it did not land at all. Wow. So I was taken aback and I, and I, my, I asked him. I said, well, I, I didn't ask him. I said, I said, you know, for someone who really hates liberals and is always condemning liberals for being so easily offended by everything, you sure seem to be so offended, offended yeah. by a simple theory that doesn't harm you or assault your identity in any way, shape, right. or form. Right. So seeing moments like these throughout the entire episode where... Archie is so hostile toward the family. They keep saying, we want to help. They're awake because they want to help. You know, they order pizza because they want to help. They want to be there for him. Exactly. Edith is making making him a bicarbonate of soda. Right, and And he's making coffee. They're all staying. Even they call the cops at one point for the guy who's calling. Yeah. This episode is so so random. Yeah, it's such a, it gets so ridiculous. Because I feel like, I think if this one especially was like such a serious topic, like Archie losing his job. And so it was like, how do we make this funny? And I feel like a bunch of people got in a room and were like, how do we make this funny? Okay, let's do three ridiculous things. And like, they just put them in anyway. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So everyone is trying to help them and he's so hostile toward them. Right. For, and, and for no good reason too. I mean, at the very no, least. No, not at all. But he does open up at a, a certain point. But only to Edith. Right. Which, he doesn't which open is up fair. to the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, I think is like a very much like, you know, the father of the house should not be doing, you know, like, especially me, like growing up, I was the youngest. And so like my dad or my parents would never let me know what was going on. And like, even to this day, I'm like 25. They're like, they're, I won't know. I don't know anything that's going on in the house. And I'll be like, I'll hear it through whisperings. And I'll be like, oh, I guess that's going. And it's weird because it's like, why don't you just let me know? Be open and and and. Tell yeah. me what's going on. And I think that more broadly, this is just an issue of... Right. I don't want to call it an issue, but I think it's an approach to parenting where we need to conceal the problems from the child because the child should not have to stress out about this. The child should not have to know. And I, I don't think that I'm old enough. I mean, I'm not a parent. And I also don't think that I'm old enough to have a position on right. that. Whether the child should know, whether... You know, a 10-year-old should know that his family is experiencing economic turmoil because that kind of anxiety... Right, but also, like, Mike and Gloria are old. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's why I was like, yeah, they're old as fuck at this point. Like, they should be out of the house. So, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that more broadly, I was um, saying, you know, if, if a child is going to school not knowing where his next meal is going to come from or... I mean, well, you know, I remember... I mean, there is definitely a line. Like, I know my, yeah. my, my friend is... Uh, my friend, you know, has a 13-year-old, and she is, like, such an open mom. Like, they'll talk about sex. They talk about, like... I was just... I just saw a musical with them, and we hung out, and I was, like, you know, trying not to... I was trying not to be, like, typical Gus talking about crazy shit all the time around the 13-year-old. But then we started talking about, like, drinking, and the girl was like, oh, yeah, my friends did this and that. And then they started talking about sex and, like, drugs, and I was like... 
oh my god you guys are i was like and then as soon as like the 13 year old went to like the bathroom i just wanted to be like listen at any point if you want me to stop talking about anything just let me know and she was like no no, no i prefer this like i prefer us to be open because if she's keeping open lines of communication then i know literally everything that's going on in her life and i'm and like that's interesting yeah you know uh, i think that's a good boundary to establish because i do agree with keeping the lines of communication open right i mean i had parents who were very open and very willing to talk to me about sex right. and drugs and alcohol and they were willing to answer questions that i had but I think my parents always espoused the philosophy and one that I agree with that, you know, it, it's okay to be open and communicate openly and be truthful with your child so long as you draw a line and make it clear that, look, I can, you can come talk to me about anything. However, I am not your friend. When I listen to you, right. I'm listening to you with a parent's ears, not with a friend's ears. Yeah. So... I, I mean, I think that that's a really important distinction. And again, like you said, Mike and Gloria are adults. Yeah, I mean, it's a caricature. Archie Bunker obviously is a caricature yeah. of that overblown conservative approach to parenting. But there is, it, I think it definitely raises an important question and an important conversation about the way that children should be parented. Is it ethical to shield children from the evils of the world around them. Because I mean, my generation, our generation is constantly being criticized for not knowing enough about the real world and we're so coddled and we're so sheltered. And so is the, is the cure for that letting your child know, hey, mom and right. I might not be getting a paycheck for the next couple of months? But I think also it's, it's interesting because everyone's like, well, you don't know anything about the real world and yet you can just scroll through Facebook and just like a video would automatically start playing of like people being shot. And you're like, well, how do I not know something about the real world? Like all we've been exposed to throughout our lives is kind of like crazy amounts of violence yes. and not even just like movie violence, but like real world violence. Like, you know, we lived through nine 11. We lived through, especially we lived through nine 11 cause we were in New York, but like we lived through horrible things every day. You hear a shooting and it's like, Oh, 20 kids dead at, a, at an elementary school. And it's like, after a while, it becomes like, oh, that's normal. It becomes a normalcy. And it's like, well, is it that we don't understand the realities of the world? Or is it that the world is just so, is, has just been like too fucking honest with us at this point? I don't know. I find it interesting. It is. And I don't really have an answer for that. Yeah, it's, that's it's an interesting thing. About. Because not just my parents, but we see on Facebook all the time and on social media and we hear from other people, whether it's our teachers or people who are older than we are that we work with um, say to us all the time, like your generation is so coddled and so sheltered. And there is definitely a degree of truth to that. Yeah, there's, I think so. There's a viral video going around now. It's called the millennial interview and it's a parody of a millennial, like a 22 year old woman who goes on an interview and she's texting like during the interview and She's just like, I don't expect to work. I can't get into work at 8 a.m. That's too early for me. I need my sleep. <laughs> and and the boss is like, well, that's not going to work because we need someone here at 8 a.m. And then she goes, I feel unsafe right now. You're not creating a hospitable environment for me. And it's, you know, it's exaggerated. It's right. hyperbolized. But it, it's, I think there's, there's definitely a great something to be said yeah. for it. And I mean, as a teacher, I see that even in my own students who are really only 10 years younger than I am. So our generations are not that far removed. Right. But... But I think they are technically a different generation. They are. Yeah. Technically, they Ge are. Are they generation, generation Z? Is that what they're called? Well, a Y, I or think. Or something, yeah. Fucking well, they're eating Tide Pods. They should be Generation Pod is yeah, what they should yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Well, as a millennial, I don't like labels. So <laughs> label them. But there's, yeah, there's definitely, I noticed that. But on the other hand, I think that we had ex we have exposure to the real world, in part because, like you said, we I feel like we've known nothing but violence since we were growing like, up. Like, literally, that's all I've known, yeah. Yeah. 
because I tried telling my parents like they were like millennials ah, and they were and I was like well it's like kind of your fault like you fucked up the economy like what am I gonna do it's not our fucking fault like y'all were like fucked up the economy and then told us to go to school all, all our lives all our lives were like growing up was like you know everyone saying like you can be whatever you want go to college you can do whatever you want go to college you can do this go to college and then we got out of college and the economy crashed and then we were like what the fuck you fucking told us. <laughs> you fucking said. And then, you know, it wasn't real. And then we had to be like, all right, cool. Guess got to figure some sh- other shit out. And I think, like, we did okay, but, like, we're still trying to figure it out, you know? And I always find it ironic when my parents say, well, your generation is so spoiled and entitled. I'm like, well, your generation raised my generation. Right. So, so it's like... Mm. What, what mistakes do you think that you made? Right. And, you know, they're, they're not going to admit that they did anything wrong. But, um, you know... Yeah, nothing ever stays the same. And every generation complains about the generation that comes after it. And, you know, I mean, my grandparents complained about my parents' generation. They were the generation of drugs and sex and makeup and rebellion and, you know, the the erosion of traditional family values. There you go. And, you know, my generation is the one of privilege and entitlement and being too coddled and all of that stuff. But I think that that's the simplest answer. Right, but I mean, how are we supposed to even scratch the surface of that when there's literally no job security around us at any time? (laughs) Like, that's my thing. And that's kind of what the episode addresses is like, and that, like... As Archie is so freaked out about his job. And meanwhile, we look around and like BuzzFeed just did that in December. BuzzFeed laid off hundreds of employees just for no good reason. Condé Nast did the same thing recently. Uh, there's been a bunch of companies at the end of December and beginning of January that I've just seen like lays off hundreds of employees, lays off hundreds of employees. And it's like, well, there's literally no job security around us. Like you can just be unemployed one day or employed the next. And it's like, well, then how are we supposed to really, I don't know. Yeah. And what Archie is experiencing, like you said earlier, is... But Archie is experiencing it through a very different lens of, like, I have to provide for a family. Whereas we're, like, I need to just figure my fucking life out. Right. Archie is, like, I need to... I have three other people that I need to fucking feed. Right. You know? And even if he had... It's terrifying. Yeah, right. Even if he had an epiphany one day and decided, like, okay, my wife can go out and get a job, eat it. Like, what skills or education does she possess? Granted, it's 1970s, so really all you needed was to graduate third grade and you could get a job that could help you buy a house. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, his his reasons, like you said, we're looking at them through a different lens, but his fear is justified. It is, absolutely. I think that we were both, like, very sympathetic to it. So then I want to do talk about that scene between him and Edith. Right, and then even even just the concept of of male vulnerability in the 1970s is kind of interesting because that is... It's one of the first times you see that because, like, up until this point, especially in media, males were not allowed to be vulnerable. It was, like, that very, like, manly, 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 manly thing. And the Bob Newhart show in the 70s Uh, because he's a therapist and he forced men to talk about their feelings openly on TV and that was really one of the first times that that happened and it was really interesting that is interesting Um, because now it's like yeah everyone talks about their feelings but this is really like the beginning of that and what I what I found what caught my eye or my ear rather was Archie talking about his father during the Great Depression and when he recalls the look on his father's face he emulates what I would imagine his father looked like. Right. And you remember for a minute, you you acknowledge for a minute that Archie himself was a child at one point. Right. He himself was vulnerable. And there, there's just something about that. Like you can't imagine a vulnerable Archie Bunker 
after watching even three episodes of All in the Family, let right. alone eight or nine. And yet they fucking do it. They did they it. They do it to us. Yeah. They did it. And they continue to do it throughout the And that is series. because of, and that is, and it's purely based in his character because it's like, how it, I mean, I'm just assuming the writer's room is like, how do we make Archie Bunker vulnerable and relatable? And it's like, well, we're going to do it through that, through the way that we only know how to. That character is only going to be vulnerable because he is a provider. And when he feels unsafe in his role, like in his male breadwinning role, that's when he's vulnerable. And it was a perfect way to do it, really. And I love that he only reveals this vulnerability to Edith, Ugh, his wife. so heartbreaking. That is such a beautiful fucking scene. I know. Because this is, I mean, you know, we, I, we've spent the last couple of episodes laughing at Edith or Archie and criticizing their old-fashioned ways, but at the same time, to me, this is still the model of what a healthy relationship looks like. Right. Like this is well, this is what even... this is what I want for myself. Like right. I, I I personally want to be that kind of partner who is loyal, who is always by my partner's side. My dad said something to me a few years ago that I thought was beautiful because I think I was talking to my parents and it wasn't an argument or anything, but I think I was mentioning to them how people I know in college and people I know outside of college are doing open relationships and polyamory. Mm-hmm. And I asked my dad something along the lines of, um, you know, you and mom seem to fight so much and, you know, you've been together now for 20 years, over 20 years at that point. And I said, why do the two of you like stay married? And I mean, granted, they don't, they generally don't fight about anything big. It's just constant bickering and, you know pissing and moaning every single day it's like about... enough to beg the question is what i yeah, feel I yeah because i've definitely asked that of my parents as well exactly and my, my dad said something that i thought was really profound he said he's like there's just no feeling in the world like waking up next to someone who is literally your partner in crime and i mean i know that sounds trite but he's Ugh. like he's like no matter it really breaks my little heart i can't I do mean, it i'm said... crying well what he said that's why still... am i crying in the club like, well, what he said still resonates with me because he's like no matter what hardship your mom and i have endured and i mean they've endured so much between right. my brother with down syndrome um economic crises my dad almost went out of business after hurricane sandy um, you know, they survived the recession together. And, you know, my dad says, no matter what hardship we've been through, like she is always on my side and right. I am always on her side and we are always by each other's sides. And there's just something so special about always having that one person, that one stable force right. that is like always right next to you. And that's, you know, we see that in this moment. We see that Edith, even though Archie keeps her sheltered, from the realities of the outside world because he needs to maintain Edith is such a millennial. (laughs) Right, because he needs to maintain his superiority. She's still so sympathetic and so understanding and so loving and she just, she gets it even though you wouldn't think that she would. And even in that first moment in the beginning of the episode where she was like, I I didn't, you weren't sleeping and he's like, how do you know I wasn't sleeping? And she's like, well, because you snore and kick and I didn't feel any pain while I was asleep so I assumed you weren't asleep. And I was like, First of all, that's the reason I'm single because I could not have someone kicking me in the middle of the night. I'm yeah. an Archie Bunker. I'm an Archie Bunker. I'm just gonna admit it. I'm an Archie Bunker. No, I mean I, you know, I can definitely, I can definitely understand that. I remember one time I went home with a guy who, you know, he asked me to sleep over, and at that point, you know, I was kind of drunk and I was tired. It was like one in the morning. Um, it was right around the corner from school, and I had school the next morning. So I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'll just, yeah. I'll just sleep here. Like I'll walk to school five blocks in the morning. It'll be really easy. And 
Oh, he was the most... You, like, didn't sleep all night. I, yeah. I didn't. And he was the most aggressive cuddler. He... Well, we I hate like, that. That's yeah. what my... Yeah, I have a... Yeah. Well, he felt... He made me the big spoon, so... Which I hate. He... <laughs> I mean, no, I don't hate it, but, like, I don't like it for extended periods right. of time. But so he, he, like, made me the big spoon, and we... He fell asleep with me as the big spoon, and at one point, I'm like, okay, like, now I'm going to go to bed. I didn't say that, but I, like, took my arm around, and I put it back on my little hemisphere, and I rolled over, and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go to sleep. And he turns around, grabs my arm, and puts it back I over him. He like so He adamantly much. refused to fall asleep, like, unless my arm was around his Ugh, chest. I hate that. And I dated a guy like that, who we, I slept over one time, and he just, like, kept just, like, putting himself on me, and I tried to, like get away and like I'd wake up and he'd be on top of me and I'd be like please stop and then I woke up and like as soon as I wake up I need coffee like I just immediately like if I don't have coffee within an hour of waking up I get a headache and then I just can't function for the rest of the like I just get a headache I get like withdrawal because I've had caffeine like in my system for my whole life and so I woke up and I was like it was like 6 a.m and I was like do you have any coffee (laughs) and he was like what just, just like, let's cuddle. And I was like, no, no, do you have any coffee? And he was like, let's just cuddle. It's nice. It's just, you know, it's Saturday morning. And I was like, do you have any coffee? I need coffee. I need you to make me a cup of coffee. I'm going to die. I'll go down. Do you have a key? I'll go down. I'll go downstairs. I'll go around the corner. Please let me out. <laughs> I was like, clawing at the window. I was literally freaking out. I was like, please let me out of here. I need my coffee. And eventually he was like, okay, fine. All right, like, all right, okay. Maybe the nastiest cup of coffee. And I was like, oh, I felt like life returning to oh, me. Wow, it was great. Even get that right it was disgusting yeah i'm so glad we're not together anymore stupid <laughs> piece of shit on top of everything he did he made the shittiest cup of coffee what an asshole giant <laughs> anyway sack of shit. and that's why i'm single and that's why edith and archie have a great marriage well it's interesting because edith says at one point because mike and gloria are really vulnerable with each other and edith's like we should be more like them and archie's like Ugh. and then literally this the next scene is archie really opening up to her and i'm like right. oh, you do have that edith you do and, and we spoke beautiful. in the episode when Lionel's family moves into to the neighborhood. We spoke about that social conditioning, how Edith and um, the neighbor and the people you see people in that episode influenced by the pop culture around them, yes. and influenced by the way people around them behave. Now it's significant that the entire series takes place in that goddamn house. You know, so between um, Archie and Edith, they almost never leave the house except Archie to go to work and Edith to go to the grocery store. But when you see, for instance, Archie being surrounded by a different generation, you know, we see in this episode that he is influenced, whether he knows it or not, whether he likes it yes, or not. Yes, exactly. He is influenced by being in proximity to another, an, another relationship, a right. healthy relationship, just healthy in a different way. Right. No, absolutely. And let's just talk about a little bit about um, how exactly, how ridiculous this episode gets. Yeah, what the fuck this was episode this episode? really does get ridiculous. I mean, I I thought it was funny. Yeah, I, really I, no, did, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed it. it. But this episode in particular gets fucking bonkers. Right. It's like they invited audience members to play minor characters right. in the audience. You have Mrs. Wiedelmeyer, who was in the last episode, but yes. she's, she's, she's so a, weird in this episode. Yeah. She's like, I thought, 
I didn't know you were night people. I'm a night person too. I'm like, it's 4 a.m., bitch. Like, oh, what God, are you doing? Yeah. And her voice, her voice is like a sandpaper dildo. Like she, she is the worst. I didn't know that you guys were in this house. Now that's why I came. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, what, she, what acting school did you attend? That's the thing. Like who's, the, the Sophia Ford Coppola like, like who <laughs> whose fucking wife are you on set? Because like clearly you're not an actress. Like clearly <laughs> you were someone's wife, and like they were just like put my wife in this scene. And no, you were the worst. Yeah. And then at one point she's like What does she say? She's like, Oh, I was just hoping you had a cup of coffee because I didn't have any coffee, so do you have coffee? I have a guy over. I'm like, what? At two in the morning. She's also a widow, and I'm like, oh, she killed that husband. Like, she's for <laughs> sure led him to a heart attack. Like, yeah. I can't. Then like the the worst part is like she has this guy over who's a plumber, and she's just like Edith is like, want to stay for some coffee? And she's like, sure. She calls the guy up at her house and is just like, hey, thanks for answering the phone in my house, but um, I'm actually going to stay at the bunkers. Like, thanks for the thanks for the night. Bye. Can you leave? Yeah, can you leave? And he's like, but I didn't kiss you goodnight. And she's like, yeah, I know, but that's the way life goes. And I'm like, what is this? She says, that's the way the cookie crumbles is what she says. And oh, that's like, the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> And then there's the cop that comes in at one point. Who's like 193 Who years is old. that? Which at least he served he a purpose. Looks like, he like, looks like, um, you know, the end, like one of those final scenes, the penultimate scene of Psycho when they find um, Mrs. Bates' skeleton <laughs> in the basement. He like, looks like Mrs. He, Bates' skeleton. <laughs> that's what he looks like. He looks awful. <laughs> and not just that, like he doesn't serve any purpose other than to like, so there's the guy that's calling them about Mary Lou and, and whatever her name is. And then, like, that's that running joke throughout the whole thing of the phone call, which, like, I thought was just going to be, like, a phone call. And then it turns into, like, the cop coming over and being like, we invited him to your house so we can lock him up. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. So the cop shows up and is like, great. He serves, the only purpose he serves is to talk about job security, which is, like, fair. Okay, cool. Then the drunk guy shows up and it's his sergeant, which is, like, what? Why is it his sergeant? Of all the people in New York City, the sergeant of this one precinct is the person that, like, shows up at the bunker's door at 4 a.m.? Really? Like, we're not in North Dakota. Like, there's more people in New York City. Like, I don't know. It's such a strange choice. Yeah, no, it really was. Like, just all of this action happening at 2 in the morning. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I yeah. couldn't. It was, but, it was hilarious. Mrs. Weedlemeyer. But it was funny. And, yeah. Mrs. Weedlemeyer is, is fascinating. And I think we, we spoke before this episode that we wanted to focus on the minor characters. So without going on too much of a tangent, two nights ago, Sunday night, was the season eight finale of the show Shameless on Showtime. Oh, right. You want to talk I, um, about this? Yes. A show that I loved. I watched the first seven seasons with absolute delight and joy, and season eight was a recurring nightmare. It was, it was so outrageously bad. And, you know, the season finale was just flaccid as any season finale could be <laughs> flaccid like absolutely flaccid like me in the morning when i haven't had my cu- cup of coffee <laughs> exactly and what, what was really frustrating was that throughout the entire season i couldn't really articulate what made the season so uncharacteristically bad because i, I just like the, the thing i kept telling people and the thing i kept saying was that oh it just sounds like they're running out of ideas which is true right. and i stand by that but i wa- i read a review last night on the av club about that about that entire season and the season finale and it i thought it was really important because it articulated everything that was on my mind with the vocabulary that i didn't have to express it and he basically makes the argument as to why the season was such a failure and argues that the season was a failure because 
all the new characters we meet and all the new storylines that we go that we embark on don't really have any purpose or meaning like there's no rhyme or reason to them they don't serve to teach us anything new about the characters to complicate our view of the characters to advance the plot in any significant way and that that really changed my approach now to watching tv shows it's probably like a really trite realization but it definitely made me have more no, because that was for my characters issue. like Mrs. Wiedelmeyer, who is minor and random, and we, you know, we both looked at each other while watching this episode, and we were like, "What the fuck? Who is, who is she?" The, I literally what? in my notes wrote, "Who is this bitch?" Who is this bitch? Yeah, and but you know, I, I I think that after reading that review, and after that that review put that entire season of Shameless into perspective for me, now I'm interested in those minor characters right. and what function they serve. In the episode, because if they don't serve any function, then what is the point of them? Is that symptomatic of bad writing? No, I think in this case, it really was like, other than the cop, like the other two or three characters were solely there for humor. Like just to make it somehow funny. Because it's not a funny episode. It's a very like vulnerable, sad episode. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And so I think it was really they're just like, okay, how do we make this funny? Okay, well, well, let's bring in Susan from last week. And in the Norman Lear of it all, it serves that political purpose that he wanted to shove in. Because like at one point, the cop, the the sergeant is like, I hope you don't think any worse of cops than you are, like than you might. And then Mike is like, don't worry, I won't. Yeah, some some remark. Yeah, about d- d- it. He, yeah. He goes, I hope this doesn't affect the way that you look at cops. And Mike goes, Oh, don't worry, this definitely yeah. doesn't affect the way I yeah. look at cops. And it's really just like Norman Lear being like, Here we go. Which is significant because you know yes, the, the 2010s are the era of the black lives matter movement but in the 1970s um I, I mean police corruption has abounded for quite some time but in the 1970s a, a huge problem was um the collusion between the police departments of new york and the mafia yeah. so that you know there was that corruption going on yeah and let's okay i just want to bring up so do you really think because at the end you get the answer, but like throughout the episode, I really thought Archie cared about his coworkers. Oh no, I didn't for a second. Really? Because I really yeah. thought like, oh, I think he does care about them. And then by the end, he's just like, nah, fuck it. No. And he even says like, we're going to make money. Right. Like, let's have some pizza. We're going to make money. Like, he just doesn't care about these people, which yeah. is so American, honestly. Yes. It's it, very American. So, so conservative. Yeah. It's no, I, I didn't think for a second that he gave a shit about his his co-workers or his friends at all and we were also talking about the political undertones in this episode and there's also that capitalist sentiment at the end of the episode where he says no man starves who is willing to work hard for yes it. which is just the thing that my parents instilled in me since i was a little baby and which is just the argument just the logic that death of a salesman critiques because the idea is that Capitalism bringing it is, back to death of a salesman. Death of a salesman. Yeah, capital. Ca- um, capitalism is predicated on limited resources. With capitalism, in a capitalist society, there is not enough success. There are not enough resources. There is not enough money to go around. So the idea is survival of the fittest. Whoever yes. is willing to work hardest will get it. Which means that there are people like Willie Loman. Granted, he's a fictional character, but he is a representation of the everyman. He's an everyman figure. There, there are people who bust their ass and still come up short. Yeah. So, yeah, fuck that. No, fuck that. No man stars who is willing to work. I mean, no. 
I think people are still starving. Yeah, just to be honest, I think that they might I'm, still be starving. I'm pretty sure they're still starving, Archie. Just, just a little bit, Archie. Just saying. I don't you know. would know if you left your fucking house, <laughs> At, like ever, right? <laughs> yeah, he ever. never leaves. If you that went house. over, if you went over to the Jeffersons' painted house, <laughs> if he went over to the Wiedemeyers, which is just <laughs> Susan, it's just Susan all alone, just like with plumbers around her, with like all her dates, just Susan, like we never Clara, left. Barbara, Brenda, whatever the fuck her name fucking is, fucking Wiedemeyer. I, I think it was Susan. Let me see. I wrote it in Susan my notes. Clara. No, it was Clara. It was fucking Clara. Clara. I don't know. She looked like a Susan to me. What am she, I going to say? She did. They all look like they Susans. They all look like Susans. So Archie included. He looks like a Susan. He's such a fucking Susan. He's such a fucking Susan. Oh, wow. You guys thought you guys thought this was going to be a simple one. Lots to unpack. Lots to unpack. Lots we to proved un- you wrong. We proved you wrong, bitches. <laughs> uh, all right. Thanks for joining me. Us. Oh, yes. Us. us. I don't appreciate it being excluded. Our, us. Alex is... Um, I feel so microaggressive. Is our co-host. It's because you're gay. Because <laughs> I'm so gay. I'm a gay man and I hate other gay men. Wow, that's so cliche of me, honestly. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening to All in the Podcast. We'll see you guys next week, but not actually because it's a podcast. <laughs> All in the Family was recorded on tape before a live audience.